Let's, let's pray together. Lord, truly our hearts do hunger for you. And there is none that can satisfy except you. And Lord, we are moved that you would show your kindness to us, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. What a glorious truth that we get to remember this time of the year that you came in the flesh. We thank you that you came not just as a babe, but you grew into a man. You came to be a sacrifice in our place. That you died in our place, satisfying the very wrath of God because of our sin. You satisfied that on the cross of Calvary. You rose again on the third day, just as you promised you would. And you ascended into heaven where you sit at the Father's right hand, interceding for us, encouraging and equipping your church by your spirit to accomplish what you would have in this generation until the day that you send your son back in all of his glory to rule and reign forever. We just thank you this morning for these truths that we celebrate. We thank you that we can gather together. We have a place to meet. We are free to meet in this country. And we thank you for these freedoms. We thank you for these truths that we celebrate this morning. Lord, we lift up other churches too as we are in the habit of doing. Um, Lord, we know that you are working uh, not just in this area, but around the world. We lift up Riverview Baptist Church here in our community, Lord, that you would work in their midst and that you would continue to uh, work in and through their fellowship to bring many to Christ, to preach your word and to equip the saints, to disciple them and use their ministry, Lord, to um, meet the needs in the Creston area and uh, the western part of this county. Lord, we pray that you would do this. Father, we lift up sister churches within our Reformed Baptist Network. We lift up uh, Santa Teresa Baptist Church in New Mexico. Uh, we thank you for what you're doing there, that you're raising up another elder, and we thank you uh, for that to come along. Uh, Pastor Hendricks, we thank you for being with Pastor Hendricks, Lord, as he uh, has had some health troubles in recent weeks, and thank you that this procedure seemed to go well on Friday. Uh, we pray that you would strengthen his body, Lord, and that you would uh, use this congregation, Lord, in the, um, that area of New Mexico, Lord, that it would uh, continue to advance and, Lord, and grow. And, Lord, that its ministry would uh, make an impact, Lord, in New Mexico. And so we thank you uh, for that church there. Lord, we seek to pray for the persecuted church as well. Uh, Lord, we lift up uh, Turkmenistan this morning, Lord, and the persecuted church there where uh, so many freedoms that we enjoy are not enjoyed there and uh, that many of the church have to hide in um, uh, bunkers or in secret places to not be detected as they worship together. Would you strengthen the church there? And Lord, would you help the believers there to be encouraged and built up by your spirit? Would you protect them, we pray, and would you advance the gospel in that part of the world through them? Lord, we realize that there's many that have never heard of you. And while that's hard for us to understand on this side of the globe, 
Lord, we know there's many unreached people groups in the world. And so we lift up the Baju people, Lord of Burundi, this morning uh, in Indonesia, that you would be with them, that you would bring missionaries to them. Lord, that the scriptures would be translated into their language, that you would put this people group on the hearts of people to go to them, that they might hear the wonderful message of Jesus Christ that we celebrate um, this morning. And so be with them, Lord. Have mercy upon them, we pray. God, would you be with the troublesome spots in the world? We continue to pray for the war in Ukraine. Pray for uh, the saints there and in Russia that are no doubt affected by this war. That, Lord, we're in this world, but not of it. And yet we find ourselves in whatever nation we are, that we are dealing with the conflicts with um, our fellow man. And so I pray for... Um, Ukraine and for Russia, Lord, that you would bring this conflict to an end, that, Lord, your will would be done. We know that you're accomplishing what you sovereignly purpose to accomplish by your decree, but, Lord, we pray for your mercy upon those especially that don't know you, that they might hear the gospel, and, Lord, that you would show uh, mercy to the refugees in this crisis particularly the women and children that are marginalized through such conflicts. And Lord, that you would show your mercy and in other troubled areas around the world that we simply could be here all day praying for and that you would show your grace in those ways. Father, here at home and in our own midst, Lord, that you would be with the sick. We continue to lift up Mrs. Houck, Sarah Reed's mother. Pray that you would continue to give strength to Lloyd, Lord, as he uh, just gets better and starts to feel better, that you would help his body to gain strength. Father, we pray for our dear sister, Dot Mundy, Lord, that you would be with her, Lord, as she has got COVID, and Lord, that you would help her to be strengthened, Lord. Thank you that um, she's been able to heal well and that she's back at home, Lord, that you would be with her. Continue to be with uh, Josie Hankins, Lord, as she um, was able to get out of the hospital last week, but as her body strengthens and her appetite returns, that you would be uh, with her as well. And Father, for others, as it's a, a sick time of the year, that you would help um, each of these to feel better. Lord, we pray for those that are grieving. Uh, Lord, this time of the year brings it back up into our hearts, um, all the people that we desperately miss. And Father, would you comfort the aching heart that misses a loved one? And Lord, as we um, reflect on you, Lord, would you fill our hearts with joy that uh, the joy of resurrection awaits and what a joy that is that you have come uh, to secure such promises and truths for us. And so we lift those to you that are grieving. Father, for Quinn and Rose, we thank you for them as they continue to prepare for marriage at the end of the month. Uh, we thank you uh, for them. We ask that you would give them strength and encouragement. Thank you that they can be with um, Rose's former church down at, uh, in, in Indian Trail, that you would be with them this morning as they worship together and uh, mingle with uh, that congregation. We thank you for these opportunities that you have made possible for, for Quinn and, uh, and for Rose. So we thank you for them. We pray for both the Prevet family and uh, the Sewing family, Lord, as they uh, join uh, together in this uh, great um, marriage, Lord, that you would give grace on all sides and all the preparation and all the work that's going on, Lord, that you would uh, give grace. Father, we lift up Christ alone to you. We thank you for this 
um, body of believers down the mountain that are seeking to form in the new year as a church. We pray that you would continually be with them and encourage them. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in their midst. And Lord, we lift them to you and all their needs and all the things that are going on that, Lord, you would uh, show your grace. Lord, that you would um, be with uh, Tim as well as he has some procedures this week, that you would be uh, with him. And uh, Lord, that you would bring um, just continued healing, Lord, in his life and all the different uh, things that ail him. Lord, we thank you um, for Cindy as well and giving them strength. And Lord, we lift up their granddaughter Haley to you who's been um, in having just so many uh, hardships, Lord, in the, the home that she's in, Lord, that you would just be with her, that you give wisdom to the staff, and Lord, that you would encourage uh, just what you're uh, doing in that family, Lord, that you would encourage all of them. And Lord, be with Haley and draw her to yourself. Father, finally, for our worship this morning, would you help us, Lord? We need your help as we look at your word. It's your word. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, open our minds to understand it, as we know that it is a work of your Spirit. And not just that we would hear it and engage with it, but Lord, that we would obey it, that we would realize its implications on our lives. But Lord, oftentimes we compartmentalize our faith with you, and rather it ought to be the overruling uh, reality of our lives that you are our God and that you have come and that we are completely new creations. And so help us, Lord, in these truths to apply them well to our lives. So Lord, as we look at your word, would you meet us there? And Lord, that you would hide uh, my words uh, behind yours, that you would be exalted, that you would be lifted up. And uh, we just look forward to what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. We are going to take a break um, uh, from Genesis until the new year, and I thought we would uh, focus in these few weeks here uh, on the incarnation, uh, on the glorious truth of Christ coming to earth. And so if the Lord wills, we want to look at this week uh, the preparation, and next week we want to look at the incarnation. And then lastly, on Christmas Day, we want to look at the proclamation that uh, Christ isn't meant to just be examined. He's meant to be proclaimed. He's not meant to just be studied. He's meant to be preached uh, that all might come to know him. So uh, John chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 1, and we will read through verse 5. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? <clears throat> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You may be seated. Well, hopefully by now you are preparing for the holidays. Uh, preparations are happening all over the place, from gift wrapping to uh, 
Christmas parties. Uh, some around here are preparing for marriage. Uh, others are preparing for babies after the new year. Um, there's a lot going on. There's always a time of preparation, isn't there? And yet, many times we forget that there was a time of preparation for the son to be born of a virgin at that special time, as Galatians tells us, in the fullness of time, Christ was born. And what a busy time of year it is, and yet even in the busyness of that first century, Christ came on the scene with splendor and majesty. And it's amazing to consider this, that God doesn't prepare like people prepare. We understand God's decree that what he decrees comes to pass. We know that the timing that God has is perfect because he ordained it. We know that nothing misses a beat. The prophets spoke of all the things that would come to place in Bethlehem and that that particular day that Christ would be born of Mary. In fact, we see the miraculous signs and wonders that happened around his birth, and we consider those things and how they uh, were accomplished exactly as it was foretold. In fact, in John 14, it tells us that Jesus told his disciples before the crucifixion that he was going to prepare a place for them. So we know that his preparation work continues, even though it's not on our time scale. We know in the Old Testament, for instance, that God prepared a fish to swallow Jonah. And so while preparation is not always the same in the, in, for God as it is in the human sense, he has decreed these things from eternity past. It's not that Jesus just came on the scene in response to the cries in that generation of his people, but the cries go back to the beginning when man fell and God promised that the seed of the woman would eventually come. And so as we prepare for this season, is this taking the back burner for you? And I know that might be a question that's posed to us each and every Christmas, but it is true for us. It's true for us to think about this, that the Lord exalts himself through this wonderful story of the gospel to bring our hearts back to what is most important. In fact, what is the focus of why we celebrate? John opens his gospel here similar to the book of Genesis as we've been studying that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he called out of the darkness and formed light. Well, John starts his gospel in a very similar way, going back to the beginning or if John were to say it this way, before the beginning. So John shows us that not only was there a preparation for this miraculous point in history, but he's taken us back to the focus of what and who God is. But before we get into the text here, I want you to consider other ways that God prepared the world for the entrance of the Messiah. Right here in our text, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It speaks to his eternality, that God prepared the world in an eternal way. God's eternal decree to send his Son, we know, was at this appointed time. So he did this in eternity past. In fact, you read the book of Ephesians, let alone Revelation, and it reminds us that even the death of Christ was planned before the foundation of the world. 
In fact, Ephesians tells us that you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. These things ought to be marvelous in our sight, not just that they happened, but they happened in their preparation in eternity. Secondly, God prepared the world in a religious way. God had been preparing his people for the Messiah for millennia. He had done this through the prophets. He had done this through the story of the scriptures. If you look at the teachings of the book of Exodus and how Moses led the people, he told them that another prophet would come. You read the prophets from Isaiah on into the minor prophets. They were looking for a time that this Messiah would be born, that he would be the answers to the prayers of his people Israel, that he would come on the scene as not just a um, a, a promised Messiah, but that he would rule and reign. And of course, we know that they misunderstood their Messiah, that he would come and die. What kind of leader comes and dies? They didn't understand the first and the second coming, that he would come first as a lamb, which we'll get to in a few weeks, and yet he would come as a conquering lion when he returns. And so from these expectations from Genesis 3 to the present text that we're looking at at the beginning of the Gospels, there's an anxious anticipation that this God-man would come on the scene. Thirdly, God prepared the world in a political way. At the time of Isaiah, this was 700 years before Christ, God had brought world powers from Assyria who had taken uh, Israel and Judah into captivity in 722, and then later Judah in 586, five, good 500 years before Christ. All these things were prophesied that they would happen. Babylon overtook Assyria in world history, and then the Medes and the Persians conquered Babylon, and then Greece conquered the Medes and the Persians, and then Rome conquered Greece. And at the time of Jesus' arrival, Rome had spread their influence all over the known world. In fact, at that time, it was known as the Pax Romana, that there was Roman peace, that they brought security to travel. There was nothing like the road system that the, um, the Romans had built and travel was becoming easier. And you can just see how the Lord was prepping for the gospel to spread rapidly once he came on the scene. And really, we are beneficiaries in the Western world of even what Rome accomplished even two millennia ago. So all of this in preparation for the gospel to hit earth and to spread quickly. Fourthly, he prepared the earth in a spiritual way. The word had not been spoken as far as new revelation for over 400 years. Tim talked about that last week when he was looking, we were looking at Isaiah 9, that, that God had been silent from the time of Malachi onto the uh, bursting on the scene of Christ. And so even Isaiah had prophesied these things hundreds of years before. And so this little baby born in a manger broke the silence and the darkness and the hopelessness that God's people had been feeling for several hundred years let alone the anticipation of thousands of years. So Christ comes in the fullness of time and is born of this virgin Mary. But lastly, consider that he also prepared the world in a cultural way, a cultural way. The world at that time was prepped for the gospel proclamation. If you remember, before Rome was Greece, and a guy by the name of Alexander the Great had conquered the known world at that time, 
and had spread uh, Greek culture and language, what we now know as Koinonia Greek, which was the common Greek language. And that was the language that uh, the Lord had, had uh, decreed before that he would um, put his New Testament in, and that's what would spread in the known Roman Empire at that time. But also Greek culture was the very foundation of what was happening at the time of Christ's arrival. That Greek culture, they were still worshiping the Greek gods and the Roman gods, very similar to the Greeks in that way. And this was the backdrop, the darkness, the idolatry that Christ came into on the scene. The Jews had been marginalized, had been told to keep to themselves, but were respected at least by Rome. But Rome was in control and they made it known that they were. But Rome was simply at the bidding of our God. We see that Rome was put in place for his perfect purposes. And we even find as you look into the book of Acts as the church spread, that the gospel was uh, made it all the way to Caesar's home. What a beautiful truth this is and beautiful to consider how Christ prepared the world for his coming. So now as we look to this text, John the Apostle is writing this gospel mainly to Gentile Christians, those who had come to know Christ that have come from Gentile backgrounds. And why is that significant? Well, we know the other gospels were written really to Jews, really uh, wanting to remind them or really encourage them that Jesus really is the promised Messiah. Whereas John is taking, has a different audience and a different purpose, that he's trying to exalt and magnify this person, Jesus Christ, to those who do not have a religious background. You may have heard evangelists say this before, that after someone comes to know uh, Christ, that they encourage them to read the book of John. One of the reasons for that, if you don't have any religious background whatsoever, it's important to do this. Why? Because John just walks them through a, a firm Christology, who it is that this man uh, named Christ Jesus is, and not just the Son of Man, but the Son of God. And so, where does John start? Well, notice here that he starts at the beginning, but his glorious uh, purpose is not to explain who he is. John, like any good preacher, is explaining who he is, who Christ is. Where did he come from? What was his purpose? What is it that he was doing? What was he hoping to accomplish? Who are these people that he's redeeming? He answers these questions throughout his gospel, and there's a recollection of first things. And it's in answering those questions that John writes of this Jesus. And John himself, of course, having seen with his eyes and hearing with his ears and had touched with his hands this Christ, John says that this is the one from eternity past. And so Christ is the focus of, of John, uh, the writer of this gospel. So let's jump in here, starting in verse one, and let's consider uh, three different uh, aspects here in these five verses. Uh, first of all, we'll see that uh, we wanna look at where John starts, is explaining the word of God. Who is this one called the word of God? Secondly, that we see this word acting, just like we see God's act or decree 
in Genesis 1 of bringing uh, light and creation into being, so the word acts here. And that we're going to see that he is creation's source and creation's sustainer. And then lastly, we'll look at how the word is life and light. So let's look here again at verse 1. Look at what it says. It says, in the beginning was the word. It's important for us to notice here that John is taking us not just to the beginning, but beyond the beginning. Jesus, of course, did not have a beginning. Notice he says, in the beginning was the word. In other words, going back to the beginning, God existed. And really what we make the inference to is that he was before the beginning because notice that he says, and the word was with God, Christ. And the word was God, identity. So he is on display here of who he is, not just in his eternality, but we want to see that he's eternally existent here in these verses. Secondly, that he's eternally united with the Father and the Spirit. And then thirdly, we see that he's eternally God. John is right here out of the gate in his gospel explaining who this Jesus is. There's no one like him. He's not an ordinary uh, baby born in a manger. He's not an ordinary man. He is the God-man, Christ Jesus. And so this word beginning is not referring to his beginning, but the beginning of God bringing these things to pass. And so in looking at this, he, notice, is with God. He's eternally existent with God. And this is vitally important for us because oftentimes we can get the details of as far as the chronology of Jesus' life and the events even leading up to him coming on the scene. But we must understand that this is the ancient of days, the one who came on the scene in human history. And just that fact, we're gonna focus more on that next week, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. There is no other belief system on the planet that holds to such an amazing truth that God, the divine, would become human. This is the gospel, folks. Without this, the crucifixion means nothing. Anybody can die, but this was the God-man. He came from heaven and became man. The only way that he can represent us before God is that if he is truly who he says he is, that he is both man and God. As Pastor Tim mentioned this last week, it speaks to the hypostatic union of Christ, that he is both man and God in one. And so he's eternally existent. He didn't come on the scene at at the whim of God. He is God. He has been in eternity past. And so we have to remember that. But notice here in verse one, it also speaks that he's eternally united with the Father and the Spirit. So he's giving us the identity of the word. Notice he says here that and was, was the word with God and the word was God. There's no mincing of words here. He is God. If you read through the gospel of John, John underlines this in a hundred ways throughout his gospel. In a million ways, is on every page and almost in every verse that the focus here is leading to what you think about Christ. In fact, at the end of his gospel, he's saying many things could be written about him that it would fill 
fill the world with books um, of who this is. And so the joy of knowing and seeing and savoring who this Christ is. We see here, too, that um, he is uh, not just in human flesh, but that we see that he dwelt among us um, later in verse 14. And again, we'll look at that more next week. Even in verse 18, that he is at the Father's side and has made the Father known, for no one has ever seen God. So we'll look at some of those truths, but the reality is that he came from eternity and came on the scene of human history. Further, we know from Genesis that the Spirit was present with the Father and the Son in the beginning. And why is this important? Well, even in Genesis, we see this imagery of the Spirit hovering over the face of the waters. And we know that he's doing this from the beginning of creation, that there's a uh, that this God has revealed himself in three persons, the greatest um, uh, truths of the Trinity in the scriptures um, are also in this passage that shows that he was dwelling with uh, God in eternity past. Genesis 1, 1 and 2, if you remember, says this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Concentrate, too, on the, the light and darkness themes that John picks up on and uses in his gospel. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, like I just quoted. So just like Genesis, John opens his gospel exalting and magnifying this ex uh, eternally existent triune God. The Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, is eternally existent. He's eternally united with the Father and the Spirit. And if we didn't catch what John's point was here at the end of verse one, he is eternally God. So this was, if you look at the end of verse one, is not that Jesus used to be God, but simply that the identity of this word is revealed here. Now, why is it that we see him called the word, the logos? What is significant about that? Well, it's awesome to see that throughout the, uh, the Old Testament scriptures, the prophecies of the Messiah coming are really pro prophetic words. And it's interesting that John takes this and weaves it into the redemptive language of the Old Testament and reminds us that this word, they're not just empty words on a page, they became flesh. Not that these words in somewhere were transformed, but rather the prophecies were being fulfilled in this person. In other words, it wasn't an idea that God was trying to accomplish one day. It wasn't a thought process, an idea, or something like that. But it was the focus on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's significant when we consider this word became flesh He's eternally God. Colossians 1.15 says this, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And so a world that says that somehow God hides himself, Christianity comes on the scene and blows it out of the water. 
God has not hidden himself. He has shown himself. He has become man. He's come on the scene of human history. He's displayed who he was through his words and works. He went to the cross as he told and had foretold that he would go, that he laid down his life to redeem many for himself. He was exalted in, and through the resurrection, and he's coming back one day. God is not silent. The issue is, are we so of dark conscience as to not be able to hear this truth? And that truly is the sobering part of Christmas. It's the darkness that the light shines into that we ought to reckon with. So the glory of this eternal God coming on the scene is magnificent in itself, but let's look at our second point here, that the word acts. Look at verse three. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John is simply connecting this to the end of verse two in the reality that he is God, and therefore he is God, he is the creator. And so let's consider this for a few moments, that Christ acted in eternity on the scene and was, in fact, the creator God. And so we see here, John really makes two points, the creation source and creation's sustainer. And this was amazing to see these connections here uh, paralleled as far as Genesis is concerned. And so these um, these truths ring all the way into the end in how he is proclaiming himself and even to his coming and how Revelation speaks of recreation. But let's consider this for a minute, that all things were made through him. Literally, translated from the Greek, Jesus is the genesis of all things. He has eternally existed, but he doesn't just exist Notice he spoke. Literally, the word logos here mentions, and it can be translated, the speech, that he spoke things into existence. This eternal God who is, does not have form or body, that he is a spirit and he's identified himself as such, became flesh. And why is that significant? Because notice here, he says he's the firstborn of all creation, and he is the one who spoke all things into existence, out of nothing. The phrase, and God said, in Genesis 1 alone, is mentioned 10 times. By the very breath of God, he speaks things into being. Folks, this is the eternal word speaking. John is identifying Christ as the creator God. Things invisible, notice, and invisible. Again, Colossians chapter one, verse 16 and 17, you say it this way. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Remember, there's an unseen world that God has created Angels, of course, are not able to be seen. There's all kinds of different angels and uh, principalities and powers. He has made all things, whether they're visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and, notice this, for him. 
We're going to focus more on that on Christmas Day, that he has created things for him. Christ is the center of all things, that he must be magnified and not just studied, not just understood, but proclaimed. And he, as Paul says here, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he's creation's source, but notice also here that he is creation's sustainer. Go back to verse 3 here in John 1. The rest of John 1, 3 says this, And without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, it didn't come from anywhere else. Christ is its source. There's no other being, there's no other place, there's no other thing that created this, that nothing was made, that, or not anything was made that did not come from him. The word made here can be translated came into being. Again, it implies not a process, but an event. For those of us who are scientifically inclined, we like to think about not just how God created, or that God created, but how he created. And while much of that is a mystery, it, it is amazing here that this is an event. God didn't need other material to do what he did. He simply spoke it into existence. And if you want an awesome thought beyond that, he did this with you and with me in our mother's womb as he knit us together in the darkness. And so this word that became flesh is the eternal God who created all things. And John has introduced this in just these three verses. Of course, I'm not being exhaustive this morning in these ways that we could look much deeper at this, but this glorious gospel is rooted in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And John knew that he couldn't preach this awesome message without getting the identity of this word down at the very beginning of his gospel. It's not about um, how he's explaining it, but that he's explaining it, that this person, Jesus, is the focus of all creation. He is not just the focus of Christmas. He is the eternal God. But creation itself testifies to this, that creation came forth from him. This one from eternity has made himself known through his words and his works, and those works were life and light. So let's look at this last point here in verse four and five. Look at the, the uh, in, in verse three and into four here, it says we can actually literally read this, and without him was nothing made that was not made, and that which has been made was life in him. Let me say that again. And without him was not anything made. In other words, it's a source there that we just spoke of. That which has been made was life in him. The ESV translates it, uh, in this way in verse 4 and 5 as you can see it says in him was life and life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it this life here that is spoken of we miss some of this in the English is zoe it's speaking of spiritual life life that originates in God is from God and is given ultimately to people by Christ's work. So literally, that which is biological came from the spiritual. You think about that for a moment. That which is biological came from the spiritual, not just in Christ's 
sense that he is his eternality, that he became flesh. But you think about that in the sense of man being made in God's image, going back to Genesis here. God spoke, the eternal spirit spoke, and biology was in existence. And so life, this life speaks to this very weaving of Christ's human nature and eternal nature in him becoming man as John says now in verse four, what does this existence mean? Well, it's the light of men. The capstone of his creation was mankind. But just as we have been studying in Genesis, mankind differs from the other creatures. And of course, mankind differs from God in many ways. But we are made in his image in the, in the sense that we are the capstone of his creation. And so mankind made in his image is now receiving this light. Remember how after creation, Adam plunged us into the fall, into darkness. But here, it's the reversal of that curse. The curse is reversed and Christ is shining. He comes into this dark world and shines on us. And so notice here that the light shines in verse five in the darkness. John's parallel here with creation again and Genesis 1 that God spoke let there be light and there was light as our brother took us to Isaiah 9 last week again this is what Isaiah says in chapter 9 verse 2 the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them the light has shone and so you see darkness here is not simply opposite of light, rather it's the absence of light. And God speaks into the darkness and light shines. And so here is the dark side of the truths of Christmas that sin has cast its shadow and Christ came to defeat that. And so he's not just separated Mankind is not just separated from God, but he is under God's wrath. Just as darkness existed before God spoke, so here John is drawing the parallel that darkness um, of man's sin is over him until Christ shines upon him. And oh, our prayer this morning is that if there is one here that has never seen the light of Christ, that this Christmas would be that one for you. John masterfully weaves this creation story with the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ and the world in this dark place and man who cannot find his way. John Calvin in his commentary on the Gospel of John says it this way, man is darkened in understanding. He, God, enlightens the understanding for the natural reason will never direct men to Christ. Why is that important? We can never we can never persuade someone to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We know from the, the scriptures that yes, while God works in the human heart and there is persuading in the sense of the gospel because this morning I'm trying to relieve all doubt as John was about who this Christ is, there is a persuasion in the gospel but it is a work of God on the human heart that takes someone from death to life. There is no other way except for Christ to have mercy upon your soul and if you do not know Christ, he is calling out to you and asking you to consider who he is. 
And so it's not the natural reason that can lead us to a right understanding or right relationship with Christ. I can give you books and books of wisdom that would point you to the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ, but until you come to him in faith and repentance and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you take him at his word, not mine, will you forever be changed. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. I actually have pointed to this verse before that Thanksgiving and Christmas are right here in this verse. Did you hear that? They never gave thanks to him. You're an unthankful person. They didn't honor him as God, which is who Jesus is. Thanksgiving and Christmas in the human heart, the natural human heart is right here in Romans chapter one, verse 21. And Christ shines on that darkness. So back here in John chapter one, verse five, on our last point here, notice that the light is shining in this darkness. And notice here this truth that the darkness did not overcome it. Isn't that an awesome thought? You all live in the same world that I do. There's often we feel that darkness is enveloping any possible hope that we can have. And if it weren't for Christ, I think that we would come to those same conclusions. We live in a dark world. You just turn on the news for a few moments and there is no peace, there is no joy. Even pagans are saying, my best Christmas wish is for world peace. And I don't wanna be the prophet of doom, but there is not gonna be any peace outside of Christ. And so notice the darkness has not overcome it. Literally, the NASB puts it this way. The darkness did not comprehend it. Or it can also be translated, has not understood it. This darkness, this, even the human depravity of sin and mankind leaves man unable to comprehend, to understand the great revelation from heaven. So John helps us here. Notice his encouragement. Jump down to verse 9. We may chew on these a little bit more in weeks to come, but it says this. It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Again, there's the creation theme. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him speaking of his people, his covenant people, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Notice this, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. God's sovereignty in his plan for bringing the Messiah was to redeem a people for himself. It's right here in these verses. He, his plan was to take out for himself from humanity those who would believe on his name. Not looking down through the channels of time to see who would believe, but that he chose them in Christ as we see even in Ephesians 1. We see right here that he gave them the right to become the children of God. And notice what it's it's with here, is with receiving him and believing him. 
It's that simple that God calls in every generation those who will look to him, believe on him, and respond to him in faith. That is the gospel that he is proclaiming that he is and that we and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jesus, the light of the world, shines to everyone. He gives this light and yet notice that it becomes effectual to a certain kind of person, a person who is drawn to the truth of Christ. This is a work of God in the human heart. And notice that the world did not know him. Naturally, we cannot know him. It is a work of God. And also to the Jew, as he says, that his own did not receive him. That was prophesied. And so who has received him? Well, it says the nature of those who are of him are changed. They have a new nature who are born of God. These are the ones who have the right to become his children, not by any work that they have done, but by what he has done, that they believed on his name and they have received him. And so while this might be confusing to us as we consider the very nature and character of God, it should be glorious to us this morning, especially when we realize that if we've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a supernatural work on the human heart. You know, often we pray as Christians for revival in our world, but that is a work of God. That's why we cry out to God to do it in the human heart. We can preach all that we want. We can study all that we want, but until God brings fruit, there will be no fruit. And so what are we to make of these great truths here in these scriptures this morning? Well, John starts his gospel, notice, at the beginning, speaking of this word who has been revealed that he himself has come into time and space. God is not silent. He makes known who he is. He reveals himself as God. He came in the flesh. He's distinct from the Father and the Spirit, but nonetheless, God. The one who created all things is its source and its sustainer. The one who has brought life and light into the world. This Savior comes to us this morning, calling out in our generation to come, observe, to look, and to behold, to contemplate, to consider, but all of those are wrapped up that we are called to worship him, to worship the king. We are called, as Psalm 2 tells us, to kiss the son, that we are called to worship him and make known who he is. And so with all the questions and struggles, sins, worries, fears that plague our minds at this time of the year, would you come and consider and worship the land who was slain from the foundation of the world. Our understanding has been darkened, but he dwells in an unapproachable light. He has revealed himself. And so no matter who we are or where we come from or what life has brought our way or what great things that we have done or not done this year, he calls us to come to him on his terms, not our own. We're called to believe on him. And it's not just a request. It's not an invitation. It's a command. He calls us to repent and turn to him. And the question is, have we done that? Have we prepared our minds in this way that he would have all the glory and focus of this season? Have you done so? 
And have you seen his preparation in bringing you to this point? Is your mind filled with a million things or you're focused on the, the one that inhabits eternity? What could be better to behold this one? What could be better than to consider this glorious truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he became a sacrifice for sinners, that he died and he rose again, that he's at the Father's right hand, and he's awaiting the day to return to his redeemed. Are you found in the Lamb's Book of Life? Is your name written there? Do your sins completely bear you down? Turn to Christ and watch them relieved because he is able to bear them. In fact, has bared them upon the cross. And so this is important because there may not be another day, another chance for us to consider such things that he is patient and he's given you himself but he's not a gift that is waiting till tomorrow. He wants to be received today. This word made flesh is what we will look more on next week if the Lord allows us to be together. But he came to be received. For those of you who know him, is he your focus? Is he your all-sufficient treasure this Christmas? Perhaps you've gone into a season where you are not spiritually healthy. Christ also is shining on the scene here, calling you to himself, that he is bursting on the scene once again to remind you that he came not just for the lot, but for you. So he's not hiding. The question is, are we? Are we like Adam seeking to hide from the very presence of God? Are we foolishly trying to do the same? But beloved, See this day that Christ is merciful to you, that he is bringing himself on display again in all of his majesty here from the words of scripture to call out, to beckon to you, to hear his appointment today, to respond to him by faith. And so as we go into this Christmas season with all of its sights and sounds and memories and sorrows and joys as we reflect on this year coming to an end, and all these great celebration and joyous gatherings realize that these have their root in the greatest joy that the earth has ever seen. And contrast these things in the realization that our earthly joys cannot truly quench the desire of our souls. That we will get hungry again. The sugar will wear off. Presents will get old. Money will make wings and fly away. Loved ones will pass away and nothing will remain. But this light that inhabits eternity will thrill your soul from now into eternity future from where he has come. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, how awesome it is to see these words of your gospel displayed before us. How awesome it is that you came to earth, became man. Truly, you prepared the world, sovereignly control all things, and in you all things consist. What a glorious truth of physics that indeed you hold all things together by the word of your power. Lord, there is none like you. 
There's none to be exalted. There's none to be worshiped. There's none to be more proclaimed than you. Oh God, would you forgive us for getting distracted this time of the year, let alone any time of the year. Lord, forgive us for just focusing on the earthbound things that steal our joy. That Lord, you are blowing up idolatry in our lives. You're showing them for what they are, that we cannot find true satisfaction in anyone but the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who came to save sinners. That Lord, you are enough. You are our life and our light. And Lord, it's so humbling to see that you did this for us. And not just as, as a corporate body, but for us individually, that you redeemed us. That every church is made up of individuals that you reached down and you plucked out of the fire. And so God, we are humbled by that this morning. God, will we rejoice in this great salvation? And Lord, would, it, would, would you by your spirit uh, urge us to maturity in you? that 2023 would be a year that we seek to not take for granted this great gospel and to proclaim it in a million different ways to so many different people that desperately need to hear it. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.